0: Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be looking today at just the last half of verse 18, and we won't get through it all today. So it's going to take a few weeks to get through this section because it is loaded. And you'll understand what I mean as soon as I read it and call it to your attention. Ephesians chapter 5, let me read the paragraph for you beginning in verse 17. We're going to isolate our attention to the last half of verse 18. Paul writes, So then, Ephesians 5:17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Every genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who understand and have put their faith in the gospel, has an innate compulsion to grow. Every genuine believer who came to Christ came with a pronounced attraction to Him that makes us want to please Him. Every genuine Christian wants to be a better and more faithful child of God. Every Christian desires to sin less than we do, to pursue righteousness more than we are, and to be more holy in mind and in deed. And what comes with these desires to be a better Christian is the question of just how to improve in our faith. You've no doubt been asked that question if you've been a Christian very long. And you've no doubt asked that question as a Christian What do I do to grow? How do I grow in my faith? How do I improve my life before God? It's a good question. Now, what I'm about to say is a dangerous statement. In fact, I, I teach in the preaching class that I teach. Don't ever say this sentence, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dare say it, okay? I believe there is a key to the Christian experience. A single key that unlocks everything that you need and everything that you want as a believer there really is a key to the Christian experience. It unlocks obedience to Christ. It unlocks contentment in any circumstance. It unlocks peace and purpose in life. And the key is in the last half of Ephesians 5.18, that we are to be filled or even fulfilled, same word, we are to be filled in, with, and by, fulfilled in The Spirit of God. Now, before we do a deep dive into what that means and try to answer that promise that this is the key to the Christian life, which I'll let Paul defend more than me, we need to get a little bit of orientation. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? In order to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, we have to also understand a collateral truth that many people conflate with this filling, and it's called being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Those are not the same thing. We've studied many times, baptism is a way that you identify with something. There was a lot of baptism even before Jesus, even before John. The Essenes were baptizing, the the, the Sadducees and Pharisees baptized toward their movement. Baptism was a way that you identified publicly with a person or with a movement. It was a way to symbolize a cleansing or an association. Said in a really kind of, vernacular way. It was a way you joined a club. To be baptized meant to announce to everyone, I'm now associated with this thing or this movement that I'm being baptized in the name of. So John came baptizing for repentance. He was baptizing people who really wanted to deal with their sin before a holy God and be faithful Jews. He was the last Old Testament prophet as it were. Jesus picked up baptism and said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Identify them with the Trinity so that people know when you become a Christian, you are a worshiper of the triune God. But baptism also became a, a way to announce and synonymize, as it were, association with something. Baptism was so closely associated with Christianity that in in the first century, that in Romans chapter 6, Paul uses baptism as a synonym for conversion, for salvation. Moses said it in the baptism earlier, no one is ever saved by water or by being baptized. But being baptized is a way that you associate with the good news of the gospel. Well, with that, Jesus promised something in Acts chapter 1. Gathering the disciples and some of the women who were there with him, even his own mother, he commanded them in Acts 1, 4, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Lord had promised, the Father had promised, which he said you heard from me. For John, his cousin, the Baptist, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with not water, but the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. It'd be 10 days from then in the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit would come and indwell the church corporately, and it was baptize those new believers who would be permanently and deeply associated with this movement of God, the gospel. What was this baptism then and now? Greg Allison is helpful here when he says, when God saves a person through Jesus Christ, one of the mighty saving acts is to baptize this new Christian with the Holy Spirit, thereby incorporating him or her into Christ's body, the church, end quote. We're immersed, baptized into the body of Christ. That happens once and once only, but we have to be precise in our understanding of this work of God and distinguish it from the filling that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5.18. There's a belief in some Pentecostal charismatic circles that baptism with the Holy Spirit or baptism by the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that happens subsequent or after your salvation. In fact, this baptism is often accompanied by speaking in tongues and other miraculous gifts that we believe and hold here at Mission Road are sign gifts that have passed away. But there is a teaching that the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, and when it comes, you have miraculous uh, experiences and encounters. May I suggest this is not what the New Testament teaches and certainly not what is commanded here in Ephesians 5.18 when Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. These Ephesians have already read that they were sealed by the Holy Spirit and that they must not grieve the Holy Spirit, earlier in the book, but this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit follows an interesting series of association and commands that I think are very close to synonymous. For example, walk as children of light and walk wisely and walk according to God's will, the will of the Lord. And verse 17. So what does all that mean? Well, it's tantamount to saying, be filled are moved along by the Holy Spirit. Paul is a genius at saying the same things in different ways to different audiences to give us a fuller understanding of what he means. To the Galatians, he simply said this, Galatians 5.16, but I say walk, what does walk mean? We studied it all through the book of Ephesians. It means to live, it's a euphemism for living. Walk, live by the Spirit. Pretty simple, live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then he sets something up that's going to be very important in this study we're going to do on being filled with the Spirit. He says in verse 17, for the flesh, our natural inclinations, our sinful desires, our flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. There's a war. And the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, under condemnation. And then he gives us an example. The deeds of the flesh are evident. What does it mean to live intuitively according to your sinful flesh? Well, they're evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. I'm not reading the newspaper headlines, by the way. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, then he says, stop, but, full stop, the fruit of the Spirit, those were the deeds of the flesh, what the flesh generates, but this is what the Spirit generates in a believer. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, such things, there's no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit... Living by the Spirit is the same thing as being filled with the Spirit, as we'll see in just a moment. Essentially, the apostle is telling us that there are two ways to live, according to ourselves, our intuition, our flesh, or according to the Spirit of God. Two ways to live and only two. Being filled with the Spirit, then, is living a Spirit-controlled life. Just kind of mark that in your minds. Being controlled by the Spirit, influenced by Him, And over the next couple of studies, we're going to examine what a spirit-controlled life is and how to pursue it. But before we get there, we have to define it. This is is going to lay some important groundwork for getting into the practical aspects of this in the coming weeks. So I want to show you from this text three essential parts of a spirit-controlled life. Three essential parts of a spirit-controlled life. The first is simply this, awareness it's something you have to understand and know about awareness. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. You can translate it, be fulfilled by the Spirit or in the Spirit. Same word. Living a life empowered by the Spirit of God begins with a simple awareness of His presence and His availability. we just saying He's sufficient for Today. It's understanding, knowing, and having confidence that everything we need for life and godliness has been provided for us and to us by God through the gift of His Spirit. Now, before we get too far into this, let's remember the contrast He's made. We spent two weeks looking at drinking and drunkenness and what the Bible says about that. He's making a contrast against the wine-caused drunkenness and self-indulgence a Christian is to be Filled or influenced by, influenced with, the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. What's the causation? Wine. What's the result? Drunkenness. But be filled with the Spirit. What's the causation? Spirit. What's the fruit? The, the, the fruit is fulfillment. Filled. Parallel is important. As wine can have an influential and controlling factor in a person's life, likewise the Holy Spirit is to have that influential and controlling influence on every believer. But we need to understand that this influence is not the Spirit by Himself. This is a really critical, important point that that I think we need to... Understand in our awareness that God doesn't send His Spirit. The Father and the Son from John 14, they they send the Spirit. They don't send the Spirit and say, okay, the Spirit's going to indwell and be with every believer, and the Father and the Son are going to go do something else. Turn for a moment over to John chapter 14. This is really important to see. John chapter 14. This is the text. For the doctrine of the of processionism or the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and proceeding from the Son. But I want you to notice something critically important that we're gonna bring with us back into Ephesians 5:18. This is where Jesus talks about the sending of the Spirit, who He commands us to be filled with and by. John 14, look at verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Stop right there. He's just told them, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be apart from you. Here's how to live life without me, but you won't have to do it alone. I'm going to send a helper. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete, one who comes alongside, another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, verse 17, the Spirit of truth. There's the Holy Spirit. Proceeding from, given from the Father and the Son to the believer. The world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. There's our awareness that we do see him and know him because you know him. He abides with you and will be in you. He's among you and he's going to be in you in a more unique way beginning at Pentecost. You say, okay, great. So case closed. Father, Jesus asked the Father, send the Spirit. Spirit sent. We have the Spirit. That's our permanent abiding relationship with God. Case closed. No next verse. Verse 18, I, Jesus said, I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, so it's better than I thought. We don't have one third of the Trinity. We have two thirds of the Trinity. That's pretty good. He's coming personally. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, verse 19, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I, solidarity, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments keeps them and keeps them is the one who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. That's a future thing. I think we should look for the disclosure of our Savior to our hearts all the time. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to them, said to him, if anyone loves me, verse 23, he will keep my word and my father will love him Look at this pronoun, and we, my Father and me, we will come to him and make our abode, our permanent abiding presence with him. Do you see that? All three members of the Trinity are promised by the Lord Jesus to permanently reside with the believer. So when we say being filled with the Spirit, I want you to see, as we'll see in Ephesians in just a moment, that the Spirit is the mediating member of the Trinity that gives us the fullness of the entire Trinity who dwells with us. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with God. Dr. honor says it well. Significantly, as we have seen, it's only in this passage of Ephesians 5.18 that believers are urged, excuse me, in Ephesians 5.1, that believers are urged to be imitators of God. Remember, Paul says, imitate God as beloved children. To be admonished, be filled with the Spirit then, means that Paul's readers are urged to let the Spirit change them more and more into the image of God and Jesus Christ, a notion which is consistent with Pauline theology elsewhere. So place we begin in our study and our understanding of being filled with the Spirit is the awareness that the Spirit of God mediates our relationship with God and makes us mindful of the presence of the fullness of the Trinity, which Jesus promised would, dealt, would, would dwell with us. Now, Paul's given a lot of instruction on the Godhead and on the Trinity and on the Spirit himself in the book of Ephesians. Let's get a running start. Ephesians 3.19, Pray that you know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See that? That's our triune God. That you, I'm praying that you are filled up. That's the word plerao we're gonna see in a minute. The filling. I pray that you be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the Spirit, yes. But it's more than that. It's filled with the fullness of the presence of God the influence of God. Paul's also informed us that the church is God's holy temple on the earth, that the Spirit of God is alive and working in the lives of believers in that temple, that community of faith. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, in him, verse 13, you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, also having believed, you were sealed with him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we have our access in one spirit, there he is again, to the Father. Through Jesus we have access to the Father through the Spirit, the Trinity again. Ephesians 2.21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. His work is to make us the dwelling of God corporally and the those who have the presence of God permanently abide with us individually. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 5. In other generations was not made known as the sons of men, the gospel, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. He's the revealer of the word. Ephesians 3:16. I pray that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory that to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So the Spirit of God comes to empower us. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. So our friends at Ephesus have been instructed on the Trinity, on the work of the Son, on the work of the Father, on the work of the Spirit for now some four and a half chapters. They're filled with all the fullness of God. They're God's holy temple with the presence of God corporally and individually. So then, to be filled with His Spirit is to live according to that promise of God's constant presence, the fullness of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. By the way, in the next verses, we're going to come back to this a couple times. In the next verses, Paul will show us what it looks like when a believer is indeed filled with the Spirit. Remember this list just generally, okay? We'll respond with singing to God and singing to others. We'll have mutual submission and trust of one another out of reverence for Christ. We'll give thanks to the Father. Wives will respond to the leadership of their husbands. Husbands will love their wives as Christ loves the church. Fathers and mothers will will shepherd their children well in the Nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children will be obedient to their parents. Employees will honor their employers and employers will honor their employees. I think that's what Paul's speaking of when he says walk by the Spirit. It touches every part of your life. Awareness. Are you aware that the entire fullness of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, has been given to us in a permanent, abiding presence. The fullness of God is with you in your seat as a believer right now. The fullness of God. Awareness. Second essential part of a spirit-controlled life, is action. Action. What do we do? If this is really the key to the Christian life, then what do you do to unlock this This lock? How do you use the key? Well, by the way, this is the only place in the Bible where a believer is commanded to be filled with the spirit or commanded by the spirit or, or to be uh, uh, controlled by his presence and his power or to be in the spirit. This little word, N, epsilon new powerful preposition. It means in, with, or by. Be filled in, with, or by the Spirit. And all three, I think, come together in the concept. Be filled with the Spirit, in the Spirit, by the Spirit. And he says, be filled. That translates a, an interesting verb. It's a present passive imperative. Just work with me here a second. A present tense, ongoing action, passive, something done to you, imperative, something you do. Literally, plerao can be translated, be being kept filled. Be being kept filled. The meaning of plerao is to be moved and influenced by something, fulfilled by something. It's like wind that moves a sail in a boat. That's what plerao means, to influence, to move, to fill it, to fulfill it. So to be fulfilled or filled with the Spirit is a command, but it's an odd and interesting command. It's an active and a passive dimension. Do something that you can't do. You be filled. Do you hear the both? Something you do, but you're doing something that has to be done to you. Do do you hear the active and the passive dimensions of this? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit. This means it's not a one-time action, by the way. It's a, the present tense indicates it's an ongoing pursuit. There's one baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there's a life of faith that includes ongoing, continuous fillings with the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Spirit. It's not like my GPS on my phone. I have the sweetest lady who talks to me when I navigate on my iPhone. She tells me where to go, she tells me where to turn. She never gets upset with me. She never tells me she misses my turn. She just says, "Re-navigating." I appreciate that. She's so kind. But my favorite part of this lady is when I get to where I'm supposed to go, she says, "You've arrived." <laughs> There's just something I like about that. <laughs> never been told that in my life. Rick, you've arrived. It's just really, really sweet to hear her say that to me. I try to ask Kim to do that. She won't do it. Uh, That's because every time I get lost, I'm with Kim. And she just goes, told you so. She's much nicer than the lady on my phone. But you've arrived. You never arrive being filled with the Spirit. You never arrive. You're never there It's wonderful to be filled and moved and influenced by the Spirit, but you're never one and done. You never check the box, and then you're finished. Baptism is one and done. You believe you're baptized, not filling. Also, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something we have to do, but something we cannot do, we have to have done to us. Said another way, not being filled with the Spirit would be disobedience, but we have to understand how to obey this. And you're saying, oh, great, Rick. And you told us this is the key to the Christian life. Wonderful. Let's listen to Paul. This command, by the way, is to the whole church, not just the leaders, not to those who are considered spiritual elites. So the question for us is simple. How do do you know how to be filled with the Spirit? Now, it's amazing that Paul drops this command without any dwelling on a how-to list. Instead, He says, this is what happens. Look at your Bibles for a second. Back to Ephesians 5. He says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, that will cause you to speak to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. You're giving thanks in verse 20 to the Father. You're subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In verse 22, wives will then be subject to their own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands will love their wives as Christ loved the church. Chapter 6, verse 1, children will obey their parents. 6, 4, fathers will not provoke their children to anger. They'll raise them in the discipline and nurture of the Lord with their wives, with the mothers. Slaves, verse 5, will be obedient to their masters as employees to employers. And masters or employers, in verse 9, will be kind and take care of their employees. Interesting list, isn't it? Turn two books over to Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 3. Now let's just drop down into a list, can we? Look in the middle of verse 16. You have wisdom... Chapter 3, verse 16, you're admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Does that sound familiar? Singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Thankfulness. Does that sound familiar? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's the mutual mutual submission. Does that sound familiar? Wives, subject to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 19, children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Verse 21, slaves, in verse 22, employees, obeying your masters. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Well, what causes that in Ephesians 5.18 is you're filled with the Spirit. What causes the exact same list in the exact same order with the exact same fruit in Colossians? Go back up to verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you that causes the exact same fruit and consequences and result as being filled with the Spirit. Do you see that? So we can assume, in Paul's mind, those are theologically synonymous. Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Colossians, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So what does that mean practically? Well, We're gonna pull the car over in the next few weeks and study that. We're gonna look at Romans 8 and Galatians 5 again. There's so much that we need to understand about what it means to walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, walk in step, keeping in step with the Spirit. But for now, I think it's simple to say it's as simple as letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. There is only one place where we can find the sure Inerrant, inspired, infallible word about Christ and from Christ. It's your Bible. Yeah, this is the Read Your Bible Again sermon. It's where we know how to obey, how to fellowship with. God, how how to interact with. It's it's all of our instruction. So when you're moved along, influenced, filled with the Spirit is when you are in tune with, in sync with, understanding and applying God's Word. The Scriptures alone will inform us on how we can Actively do the action of following God. But we have to pair that with a third essential part of the Spirit-controlled life, awareness, action, and allowance. Allowance. Remember I said there's an active and a passive part of being called to do this? The active part is you study, you know what the Word of Christ is, and you, you obey it. But there's an allowing side. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow your heart, your self, your decisions, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, I know how that, that sounds. To those of you who know and love the, the, the sovereignty of God, you're like, what you, I'm going to allow God to do something? Like, I have the power to allow God to do anything? You, well, well, you don't, but you do in regard to your will. Be filled means you are allowing the influence of the Spirit of God to be greater on your life and your decisions than your own heart. You are getting out of the way so that God's will can have prevailing influence. This is not a call for a special experience that we feel. It's not rolling around in the aisles and No, being filled with the Spirit is a lifestyle to cultivate. It's a dependence on the work and the power of the Spirit of God. It's co-operating. I love that word, but break it down, co. -co Co-operating with the working of the Spirit in our own hearts. It's working out your salvation for it's God who's at work within you. And we're going to, in our next study, turn our attention greatly to Romans 8, which tells us a little bit more how to actually do this. So just introductory mostly today. We're called to be filled or to allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to exercise prevailing control over our thoughts and decisions and actions. Let me say that again. To be filled with the Spirit is to... Allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to exercise prevailing control over our thoughts, decisions, and actions. Reading God's Word, studying the Bible, obeying God's Word is the means of allowing His influence to move us, to change us, to motivate us, to convict us, and to help us and to keep us Now, Paul's going to come back to this priority in Ephesians 6, 17, when he says that the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. So he actually pairs those two together, and we'll get there in chapter 6, verse 18, in spiritual warfare. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we must arm ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, so the Spirit can fill us, control us in our daily battle against sin and the spiritual forces that come against us. But please be mindful of this. Simply knowing Bible stuff and stuff about the Bible is not letting the word dwell in you richly. It's knowing God's word well enough that it influences your feelings. It influences your decisions. It comes to bear in the moments of decision all throughout the day. It lives with you, it dwells with you. Let the word of Christ richly live in, dwell in, take up permanent residence in you. Listen, your quiet time is not something you do in the morning or at lunch or night and you check that box and you think, God's pleased with me, I'm going to move on with life. No, it's to feed our souls so that we're thinking biblically. We'll study that a little bit more in the next study of this passage. It's not just knowing, it's dwelling in, it's caring about can I just encourage you, if you will choose to be influenced and filled with the Spirit, there's hope for anyone with spiritual instability. Look, I'm not silly, I understand. There's some people struggling spiritually today in this room. There's hope for any besetting sin. You know that sin that you you spend most of your life confessing, there's hope for that sin by being filled with the Spirit. There's hope for strained and broken relationships by being influenced and moved by the Spirit and in the Spirit. There's hope for stale marriages and struggling marriages by being influenced and filled with and fulfilled by the Spirit. There's hope for dealing with a difficult boss, work situation, or a difficult employee. There's hope by being filled with the Spirit who mediates the fullness of God who dwells with us, Father, Son, and Spirit. And by walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, submitting to His will, His control, you will... Experience a prevailing influence over your life. Life will change. So, dear Christian, does God have pervasive and prevailing control over you? I don't know if this happens to you. I, I read a quote studying this week and it just took my breath, it gave me great pause. needed some time to recover because of the gravity of it. A.W. Tozer, he wrote this. It may be said without qualification that every man is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. Isn't that convicting? In other words, do you want to be more controlled by, influenced by, filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to? Then do it! By letting the word of Christ, the precious scriptures, saturate your thinking, saturate your mind, not just reading to check off your Bible reading plan. That's important, keep doing it. You're reading to know God. And then you're walking away from that time before this book, and it matters with how you're understanding life that's coming at you. It matters how you're making decisions before God and men. It matters how you deal with your wife and your husband and your kids and your friends, the people who like you and the people who don't. Sheet, sail, the wind catches the sail, moves the boat. What wind is in your sail? What's moving you and influencing you? If Tozer is right, and that is we are as filled as we want to be, how's that measure out? (laughs) Can we increase the volume on our passion and pursuit? Now, if, if you're wise and I know you are, you would say, well, I need a little bit more instruction on that. I don't have time today. So we're going to do it at least one more time, okay? At least one more time of attention to being filled with the Spirit. I, I'm not lying. I think it's the key of the Christian life. How can it not be? Being controlled by God. Isn't that the key to the Christian life? How can you practically do it? And what we're going to add in our next study is how can you help each other do that? How can we bear that wonderful burden and take that wonderful motivation to help each other be more moved by, influenced by the Spirit of God who mediates the Trinity?